Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey there, this is Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. I am your host, Nina Perez, and we are here to discuss life topics to challenge and transform your thinking. Let's do this. Today, I am super excited because these are the kind of conversations I love to have. And I have EJ Sweeney here with me. He is a skeptical by nature. He needs to see to believe hard evidence, solid logic, compelling arguments. This is who this guy is. And that's why I'm glad he is here. So this is what he believes in. And when it comes to the Christian faith, he has seen how compelling the evidence is. And as a result, he is now an ordained Lutheran pastor. And EJ received his BA from Trinity College and is MDiv from Yale University as summa cum laude. And he is the author of Raising Jesus. And this book is so good. You got to pick it up. So I am really excited about getting into this conversation with EJ. So EJ, thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. This is a great honor to be here and thank privilege you. to be with you. Oh, I am excited because I know we're going to have a great conversation. Absolutely. So the way we want to start this is I want you to just give us a little bit about who you are, just so the audience knows you a little bit better. So I grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, and my life's ambition back when I was a kid was to replace Thurman Munson as catcher for the Yankees. So I don't know, that dates me a little bit, but I don't know if people know who Thurman Munson was. But uh, when I was growing up as a kid, my God was baseball, essentially. Mm. I, I grew up Catholic. I was very nominal Catholic. I went to church kind of because I was afraid of going to hell, didn't want to go to hell. But mostly I was superstitious. I thought if I went to church, then God would make my dreams to play Major League Baseball work out. Um, I went to college, as you said, at, at Trinity in Hartford. And the first semester there, I took this course uh, in the book of Job. I don't know why I took that course, probably because I figured... It was a religion class. It's going to be easy. It will kind of pad my schedule. It wasn't easy at all. Not only uh, was it one of the hardest classes I took academically, but it, it put my my life to the test. Um, mm -hmm. It asked at, at, for people who've read the book of Job, you know, it's all about suffering and how oh, could right, God, right. a loving God, allow suffering. That threw my world into a tailspin. I never really asked that question seriously before. And so it launched me on this, what I call my religious quest, a quest to kind of answer those ultimate questions about life. Like, What's the meaning of life? Is there a God? What happens when you die? 
Um, and so I determined at that point, I was kind of a bizarre college student because all my other friends were out partying, but I determined at that point that I, I was going to figure the answer to these questions out and stake my life on that. Whatever I found out, whatever the truth was, whether it was atheism or another religion, I would follow that. Mm. So to make a long, long story short, um, I eventually determined there had to be something out there, some kind of God. And at the time, Trinity had a great philosophy and religion program, world religions program. So I studied the other major world religions and I loved Buddhism, I loved Islam, and my favorite was Taoism. And I'd be a Taoist today if it was simply a matter of preference. Um, what happened was, again, kind of to shorten the, the whole story, um, is I looked at Christianity and I looked at the evidence for the resurrection and I really wanted to dismiss it. I did not want Christianity to be true. It was too hard. You're like, love your enemy. And then you have to believe things like the Trinity. How, how right, do you make right. sense of God being three persons but one God? But um, what, what confronted me, what, what I was stuck with was the fact that it was harder not to believe Jesus rose from the dead, purely based on the evidence, than to believe he rose from the dead. And once I kind of resolve that and, and accepting that, um, as like C.S. Lewis, and he calls himself the most reluctant convert in all of Britain. Um, when, once I accepted that it was true, then I could put my trust in Christ and had a real personal encounter that transformed my life that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I can't even put in words what that has meant to me and to my life. It truly saved me on so many levels. Right. So, but the thing is, is like you, you said you were, you like raised Catholic, right? Yes. Yeah. So isn't that funny that you were already like dismissing the Trinity, right? Yeah. So yeah. Because it didn't make sense because yeah. it wasn't logical. Like Islam is logical. One God, right? A, a singular God yes. to, to believe that God is somehow three persons yet one, you know, in, in a perfect unity of a, a, a Godhead of one to me was, um, you know, logically absurd. And for me, it was all about the evidence, the logic, what's most reasonable. Right. And and that's not easy even to a Christian to explain. Right. You know, it, right. it's still a very difficult thing to explain when you're trying right. to explain the three Godheads in one. Um, and I think that that's why the most more modern um, Christians are actually kind of dismissing that. Um, and they're just doing it like it's just one God and yeah. Jesus is like his son, but he's not God. Right. You know, that's like that's like a, a at least for me, a newer thing I've been hearing yeah. um, from more but modern Christianity. One of the things that I found is when the things that seemed most absurd to me, which were the Trinity, the atonement, why Jesus has to die on the cross, right. um, and the incarnation, how he can be fully human, fully divine. Um, I don't have time to explain these right now, but right. basically <laughs> what I found is that there was a deeper logic. It, there was a kind of what I call a hyper logic that um, actually makes it so that you can't really have a God of love unless God is a Trinity. Um, God can't really love sinful human beings, free and fallen human beings, unless he's willing to die on a cross for us. Right. Um, God has to become a human being. Otherwise he's completely detached and doesn't really love us. He, he, he's not willing to kind of enter into our pain, our suffering. So those three doctrines actually make a whole lot of sense. In fact, they're logically necessary for there to be a God, especially God who really loves us. Was that very difficult for you to even accept to begin with? I mean, I know it's one thing to like, you know, to take the class and I'm sure that it was challenging, um, right. but then to actually accept it is another thing, right? Yeah. Uh, like you're reading it and you're like, okay, because I, I, I'll say this yeah. um, for a lot of us, for a lot of us who do believe we come to the faith with emotions, right? Right. You're coming 
at least it sounds to me like you're coming at it in a logical sense, right? Yes. Yep. So, um, and and so that that must have been hard for you if you're not having. At least, let me just talk for myself. I came to it more of an emotional state. I was broken, right? And I needed a savior, you right. know. Um, right. and so that's how I attached, you know, I found Jesus in my life, and then I became more logical about it. Right. For you, you're coming at it already with an education piece or a logical piece, right? Yes. Do, do you feel like, um. Do you ever struggle with uh, the emotion of it? Or do you ever struggle with people who are only emotional about um, Christ? Or how, how do you deal with that? So I'm doubting Thomas. I, I need to see to believe. Um, and oftentimes when I tell my story, like when I, I go through what I just did or, or in, in greater depth, how that whole process unfolded, I feel like it doesn't compare to like your story is incredibly powerful. I was overwhelmed reading your book. Um, and I've heard those kinds of stories of, of how Jesus comes into somebody's life and, and he transforms it. I've heard, uh, I know people who have had that gift of faith and ultimately it is a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's grace. Who had that gift their whole life. They just never questioned um, God. They, they knew Jesus personally from the, the very first moment they were aware of anything. Um, and I, I felt not jealous, but just felt like my story was inadequate compared mm. to theirs. Because mine essentially was I was going to follow the evidence, fo follow um, uh, the evidence and the reason, the logic to where the truth led. So I, I felt um, oftentimes that those other stories are much more powerful and compelling. I think as a skeptic, and I think I can speak for people who are skeptical, the, the problem with a personal experience is that it's subjective. It, it, you know it's true. You know it's true right. for yourself. But as a skeptical person watching you um, and hearing you say, you know, believe in Jesus because it's incredible. I've had this personal encounter with him. He's real. You know, I would think if I didn't know it was true that, well, you just had a lot of caffeine. And so you're okay. mistaking the experience of Jesus for the, the euphoria you feel when you have a lot of caffeine. Right. Um, so skeptics need some kind of like objective ground before they can take that leap. That leap is necessary. Like any person who is going to believe in Jesus, it's ultimately about a personal encounter with him, a relationship with him. Um, and I've had that experience, but I wouldn't trust it. And that, I think that's the skeptical mm, position okay. is I wouldn't trust it unless I saw the evidence. It's right. it's like Thomas, who um, it's a yeah. bad rap. Um, how would you like to have your name go down in history as doubting, doubting right, Thomas? Right. But um, when he- I think it was you know, necessary. What, I think his story is necessary. It, it is. And what's yeah. amazing to me, what, what, what kind of gives me um, uh, heart as a skeptic is that in, you know, in John 20, when it's talking about Thomas and his doubt, literally what he says in the Greek is, unless I take my fist and mm -hmm. thrust it up Jesus' side, this, the mm -hmm. wound that I saw in his side when he was crucified and died, I won't believe in him. And that challenge, essentially, Thomas wouldn't say something like that, something that graphic, that, that uh, grotesque, unless he didn't believe Jesus was risen. Right. He was basically challenging God to prove himself to him. And when Jesus comes, Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, you bonehead, you know, what's wrong with you? Um, how could you question me this way? He opens his, you know, his side and says, Thomas, go ahead, thrust it literally in the Greek again, thrust your fist right up my side if you want to. Now, Thomas doesn't need to at that point. He falls on his knees and, and, and confesses. And that, that this is the key. In John 20, 28, Thomas confesses Jesus, my Lord and my God. There is no other person in all the gospels who understands who Jesus is more than Thomas. It's his doubt that led him to penetrate to the truest identity of who Jesus is and to confess that in faith. Right. And so I think for, for that gives heart, I think, to all skeptics in the sense that, um, you know, asking those tough questions, if you're sincere, asking those tough questions, 
God will prove himself to you. And then eventually you'll be able to take that leap of faith. A skeptical person needs to have just a very small leap in order to, to trust, to have that personal encounter. But God will get you to that point. If he did that for Thomas, he's going to do that for anybody else. But that doesn't mean everybody comes to faith that way. In fact, most people I meet come more, um, you know, maybe not as dramatic or powerful as your story, but in those, those um, moments of life where you realize you need a savior, that, that yeah. you can't do it all on your own, um, or, or just kind of the grace of having grown up in a, a, a solid Christian family, or just having that awareness, that connection to God uh, right from the beginning and, and knowing Jesus intimately from the first moments that you were aware of him. You know, it, it's, um, it's funny. And, and when I was listening to you say, you know, sometimes you get, um, uh, for lack of a better term, jealous of the emotional experience, whatever. And right. I actually started to feel that way about apologetics or you know, people who are apologists, right? Because coming, coming at it with just emotion also is not good, you know, because you don't think things through and yeah. you're you're not um and a lot of times we take the the word of the lord as secondary to right. the emotion and that can also be very scary you know yeah. um because I'm, I'm starting to get that now because i was super hyper charismatic and so i'm now finding balance yeah. and in that in that journey of finding balance um it was very difficult for me um, to now look at the word and say, okay, what is the word actually saying? How to exegete this right. word properly? Right. And, you know, instead of putting myself into the story, but what is the story? What is God saying through the story? Yeah. I also never learned. I mean, I've been a Christian for like uh, 15 years or almost 20 years. And like the way Jesus is weaved, even through the Old Testament, right? Like yeah. all the stories that are weaving with, and it's like screaming Jesus, right? Yeah. But because we want to take it and make it ap ap applicable, we don't see it with Jesus in it. We see it with us in it right you know so it's it's funny right how you can you can go both ways you can either be so right. skeptical that now nothing can pull you through this way right, right? or you can be so charismatic that you don't want to think logically right you know? and, and it, i think you know i mean god gave us a, a mind and a heart mm -hmm. i mean they're, yeah. we're, we're emotive and rational beings creatures right. so there, there's a way in which both are integral to our relationship with christ and right. both have to be engaged in i think the good news that our culture diminishes the means is that the rational side is can be just as compelling as that emotive side um that that there um i would argue that it, the most reasonable worldview is the christian worldview it's the one that corresponds best to reality to what we experience in the world um so i think both can be completely engaged and really need to for a healthy christian life you have to have both so for me coming at it intellectually i did have to at some point um have that personal encounter and some of those experiences for it to mm -hmm. be real if i stopped mm -hmm. at the intellectual i would know it in my head but i wouldn't know him and it's no good to right. know it in your head if you don't really know him so for those who kind of get there without having to go through all that um i guess you know, i um i respect that in some ways i'm jealous of it and, and mm -hmm. it's great and what i've been amazed at is because I, I do a lot of um talks or teaching with people who have been christian for a long time and came that way came more emotively or through that gift or grace of faith but they they love apologetics that you like you they eat it up it kind of reassures them that this is credible so yeah. what they yeah. had as a subjective experience they can see this is objectively true this is, this is the truest thing in the universe about the universe um and that that encourages them kind of sets them on fire it, it creates a more passionate discipleship so people who are already 
deeply faithful actually um, are, are ignited to a, a greater and bolder faith and then can encounter those who are skeptical in the world and bring it to them. Yeah, that's so beautiful, isn't it? When you can take both and, and empower people that yeah. way. Now, do you, did, did you struggle with um, the, you said you, you kind of encountered that yourself a little bit, having right. you know, more of an emotional uh, connection with God at, at a certain level. Now, was that something you were seeking or something that just kind of happened and you recognized that, that will, that's what was happening? That's a good question. It's a long time ago. Um, I, I mean, I remember the moment where I kind of came to that. It was actually a holy crap moment because, again, I didn't want Christianity to be true. Right, right, right. Um, but I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is true. Now what? And it was very natural because at that point, I guess I said, all right, Jesus, you're you're really God. I'm going to start praying to you. And I think maybe perhaps the grace of having grown up Catholic, even though nominally, was that I had I had things that I knew I could do in order to um, encounter him in prayer. Um, growing up Catholic, I did not ever read the Bible. before. Yeah, <laughs> um, so that was a first. And that was bizarre at, at first. I mean, one of the things, one of the great blessings, I think, was as I started reading the Gospels, it wasn't what I expected. And I had to start reading commentaries and understand the context, which then unlocked um, what, the, what they're really saying, which is so much more amazing than mm -hmm. the surface level. When you start to, to get at what is actually going on in them, um, what happened for me, this is the way I describe my experiential side is I fell in love with Jesus. It just became so obvious that the beauty of who he is. I mean, the most beautiful thing in the universe is the cross. When you, when you think about what God has done on the cross for us. And when you look at his life, like um, one of my uh, favorite uh, passages is the, the leper who comes up to him and, you know, says, if you want to, you can heal me. There's no doubt that he's God and can do this, but he, he doubts whether Jesus will actually want to. And then the, again, the Greek in there is, is talking about he's moved with the deepest emotions, Jesus mm -hmm. is. And then, you know, he can heal at a distance. He can just say, yeah, be healed, go away. And lepers in that day were, were marginalized. Um, they were social outcasts. Nobody wanted to be near, kind of like Corona. You don't want to be right. near right. somebody who had it because you could get it. That was the thinking back then. Um, but Jesus reaches out and touches him which would have meant far more even than the physical healing that another, he, he hadn't been touched in years ever since right. he had this disease. And Jesus touches him and, and says, be healed. And in that moment, he's healed. In that moment, he's free from that disease. But more importantly, he knows that this person who he acknowledged as God, who could do this, loves him and, and, and did this tender, gracious, um, kind of intimate act for him of, of, of in the process of healing him, meeting his deepest need, which mm. was to know God's love. Yeah. So he healed his soul and he healed his yeah. body. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah, I like good. Heal the soul. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So do you find yourself, I mean, I know you're a Lutheran pastor now. Yes. I must, um, what made you not go back to Catholicism, right? Because that's where you uh, grew up, right? And I mean, I know that's probably a tough question and a loaded question. So you could just simplify a little bit if you can. But I just was wondering, because I know that for me, I was, I was Catholic as well. Right. Um, and I never opened the Bible either. And I, I became uh, charismatic because that's kind of where I landed when I found the Lord, you know, right. so that's just where I was. And I never really thought about going back to Catholicism 
um, nothing against Catholics. My, most of my family is Catholic. Um, but um, I just never went back because I didn't feel that intimate connection. Did you just find that it just it just went well with your thought process um, being a Lutheran? So the reason I'm a Lutheran pastor is because of my wife. <laughs> because okay. um, when I when <laughs> well, I we came, love your wife, so that's well, fine. Yes, it's she's all wonderful. Fine. She's standing right there too. So if, if I go out of the picture, um, that's because uh, I'm no longer on this earth. But uh, for saying so, but it it's. Uh, um, what happened for me was as a Catholic, I had a great Catholic experience. And especially when I kind of came through that conversion moment, um, the people in my circles did talk about a personal relationship with Christ. They talked about oh, the unconditional love of God, especially some of the Catholics, the priests I was reading, they, they kind of made sense of things in, in a way that was very compelling to me. Um, so as a Catholic, naturally, a single young man in college as a Catholic, you start to think about the priests and a lot of people, it's, it's a long, that's a long story, location story. But the reason I eventually became a Lutheran wasn't because um, I didn't find Christ in the Catholic Church. Um, it was because I, I felt this calling to ordain ministry and uh, being called to marriage also didn't allow me to do that. Um, I think that, I mean, for me, I consider myself first and foremost Christian. And I think there are all kinds of amazing expressions of Christianity um, throughout the different denominations and churches. Mm -hmm. the, the most important thing is that relationship with Christ. But I, I think while there are problems in each church, each denomination, Christ is alive in all of them. And as I've had a chance, because I've gone through other denominations, I've done some of the uh, talking and speaking, it's amazing how um, dynamic and alive uh, he is in his church in so many people, and especially younger people who are so passionately committed. There may not be as many as there used to be years ago, yeah. but the depth of their faith, their willingness to commit their lives to him is stunning. And I found that in the Catholic church, I found that Lutheran church, evangelical churches, non-denominational churches, Pentecostal churches, charismatics. So that's beautiful. That's a, that's, that's a beautiful it's, thing. If it, you can find hopeful, God yeah. in so, yeah, yeah. And so many yeah. different, you know, um, denominations, right? Yes. Because yeah. I think that, I think the core of our faith is what needs to align, right? You know, the Trinity, the, the, uh, the, the sacrifice of the Lord on the cross, those yeah. things have to be, I think, um, you please correct me if I'm wrong, but they have to be the core of right. your belief, you know? Right. So um, it confuses me a little bit um, when somebody tells me they're a Christian, but don't believe that Christ is, you know, God or something that, that yes. just it, it kind of throws me off a little bit, right. you know? So I've also spoken to people and I'm sure you've probably gone through this about morals because a lot of people who I know, you know, are atheists will right. say to me, you don't need to be a Christian to have morals. Right. And uh, I guess that's true. Uh, but then I always ask, well, then where do you get your morals from? Right. And their answer, of course, is my parents and society and so on yeah. and so forth. So, you know, and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an apologist. I don't know how to really do this, you know, um, as far as, you know, having a, a, an argument against these kind of things. But um, do you believe that God is the center of the moral of morals of morality or, yeah. you know, or do you believe that we can be just taught morals and then we're good? Well, first, one step back, when you were talking about the essence of the faith, I think I heard a sermon years ago, which nailed it, is the, the ultimate question, the question you're going to be asked when you face God is, do you love Jesus? Because he's God. And, um, and we're created for love. We're not created to be good. Um, and that's the, the problem people get confused with when they don't really understand Christianity from inside or out is that they think it's about being a good person, mm -hmm. but obviously it's it's about a relationship and it transforms you, it makes you good, but that's not what it's about. 
Um, but the reason why you desire to be good, and actually you can't really be good unless you're doing it because you want to. If you're, if you're just being good to somebody because you want something in return or you fear some kind of condemnation, that's not really good. Right. It, it's, it's, it's only good when you really want their best, when you truly love them. And only Christ can create that in us. And that's ultimately why we've been created is, is um, to, to be with him in eternity out of desire. That's why we have free will. We can reject it eternally, but it's ultimately about our, our accepting him and his love, desiring that above all else. So when you ask the questions about morality, and there are plenty of apologists who are far better than me talking, this is not my area of expertise. <laughs> Timothy Keller, uh, Making Sense of God is a great book when it comes to this, but it, it all relates because there, the if there is no God, there's no point. There's no meaning that, you know, the, the most rational thing to do in a sense is to basically give up on life. But the next, Nietzsche had this right, uh, nihilism, um, you know, Nietzsche, he didn't do it himself, but he basically said, if you really believe there's no God, there's no point, there's no meaning, then you should cease living. I mean, there's no reason yeah. to live. Mm -hmm. um, but the next most rational thing is will to power. That's kind of what he, he, you know, is famous for and which people like Hitler took to an extreme. So basically, you know, survival of the fittest. Do do what is best for you, because if there's no real um, uh, absolute, if there's if there's if the universe really isn't about love, then it, it can be all about you. You know, that, right. that's the most rational thing. Most there of is the time, it is all about us anyway. Yes. Yes, we are the center of the universe. Yes, that's our <laughs> fundamental problem. Our sin. But um, so it's like you said, there are secular humanists who are some of the most heroically loving people on the face of the earth. Um, and so you don't have to be a Christian to be a good moral person. However, there's a lot of statistical evidence. There's a Rodney Stark is a sociologist who wrote a book called America's Blessing. And he showed that people who take their faith seriously um, in a statistically significant way um, live much more moral lives, do, you know, give more to charities are more ethical, honest, so forth. Um, so there, there is a relationship, a correlation. There should be anyway. I mean, for a Christian, mm -hmm. if you trust in Christ, it should transform you. You should look more like him every single day. Not that that is, happens overnight, but that should be what is happening to you, uh, transformed by his grace. So there, there is a, a relationship between the two. So when people in our culture want to say, you don't have to believe in God to be good. Well, that's true, but the chances of you being good are, are significantly increased yeah. if you do believe in God. And what I find interesting is, when I talk to people who are atheists, um, they talk about practical atheism, which is believers who don't live their faith. So, you know, like the joke about the, where's the most dangerous place in, in America? It's a Sunday morning in the church parking lot when everybody's trying to leave and run, run each other over. Um, there, there are a lot of Christians who don't live their faith who are hypocrites, but there's also a lot of atheists in a good way who are hypocritical. They're, they're basically practical theists because if they followed the logic of what they believe, they would cease to live or they would right. you know exercise the will to power and yet they're they're very um good people like they yeah. they they're very kind and compassionate people they, they live as if there is a god they, they live their lives if, the, if there is some kind of deeper meaning deeper point so they tell you there's no god you die and that's it you, you know you rot in the ground but in reality they're living as if there's so much more mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. than the material the... universe right yeah so i wanted to have you um there's something you said in our conversation on the phone that really just stuck with me. Um, and we were talking about the skeptical mind and, you know, right. how, how, um, how hard that must be to always have the skeptical mind. And yeah. so if something's in front of you that, you know, that, that may be more emotionally engaging from God that you're probably like, eh, 
<laughs> you know. Right. Yes. Um, so so there's something you said that really um, touched me, which was I'm skeptical, but not fragile. Right. And I really, really love that because it, it gave me hope that, you know, people who are solid atheists or people who are solid skeptics can still find their way to the Lord. Yes. You know, yes. so what do you say to people that are skeptical, maybe atheist or they're just maybe they're agnostic? But um, how, what do you say to someone like that? about fragility right like maybe yeah. they don't need to be so fragile um not everything we say is to offend them you know sometimes right. we're just really trying to maybe open a dialogue or have you know gain some knowledge from them as and they can maybe gain some knowledge from us right so what, what can you say to someone like that so um if i do articulate that skeptical perspective i think i do because i you know as i talk to people um i i think that where I'm coming from is where many of them are coming from, that needing to see to believe. Um, I'm constantly asking questions. I will still go, um, you know, my, my allegiance ultimately is to the truth, whatever that mm -hmm. truth is. Okay. I firmly believe Jesus is the truth. And the reason why I don't think I'm fragile anymore, even though I continually ask questions, I continually pursue not only my own doubts, but challenges other people raise or questions that I don't have an answer for. But I feel like I've kind of unearthed all the major challenges um, at this point. There's nothing really new that that comes at me. And every time I pursue something that is kind of a nuance to a question, they're, they're not really big things that are challenges now. They're kind of nuances. Um, I find even more evidence that it's true. So the only mm. thing that questioning does for me is bring me to a deeper level of confidence that it's true. And I, I what I would challenge people who are, are skeptical is, is to do that. If you're sincere, the problem, and this is my big frustration is that it's doubt is in vogue in our culture right now, but it's not a healthy doubt. It's not a, right. a skepticism, which says, I really want to know the truth and I will do whatever it takes. And then I'll stake my life on it. What it says is I want to live my life the way I'm living it. I want to be the captain of my soul. So I'm going to use these doubts and questions to kind of keep people off my back. So I'll tell people that I, I can't believe in a God who allows suffering. And that's a perfectly legitimate question. Like I, I said, it launched my religious quest um, and there's great answers to it, but they don't really wanna know the answer. What right. they want to do is they want the person who of faith is trying to share their faith with them to kind of back off. Um, there's a great story about a woman who was invited to a Bible study that was all about the resurrection, evidence for the resurrection. So her friend invites her to the Bible study. She goes through it. The end of the Bible study, the friend says, what do you think of, of the evidence? She's like, oh, I'm convinced. He, he rose from the dead. He's the son of God. So her friend rhetorically basically asks her, so you want to become a Christian now? And she says, oh, no, I don't want to do that. that would mean I'd have to change my life. Um, <laughs> And I think that's where I'm mean, Sue's honest. Real. About it. That's but, real. Yeah. Most people, and I don't know if I don't think they're being dishonest with uh, with you. I think they're right. they're they're kind of fooling themselves. They're not being honest with themselves. Is that they really don't want it to be true? So they're using doubt. They're throwing the questions out there to kind of um, keep God at arm's length. Yeah. That's my biggest frustration. And so um, you know, it, to me, it's so obvious that it's true. And if, if you just if you give it a chance, you'll see it and you'll have my experience that the more you dive in, the more that the answers, it, it just, it makes you more and more certain, almost to the point where and you never get hundred percent certainty until you see God face to face, right. but you're just like, so sure. So I continue to question, but in fact, you know, even like they said, when, I, when I'm watching, when I'm in church and I see people having emotive experiences every once in a while, I'll have in the back of my head, you know, is this real? Are they really experiencing Jesus is real. And then, you know, I quickly go back to all the stuff that I've discovered. Right. And I think anybody who is skeptical will be able to have that groundwork 
um, that will get them to trust that the experiential is real. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a figment of their imagination. It's the, the the most true thing about the universe. The most the realest thing they can experience. More real in the air that they breathe. Yeah, and I mean, we are also told to test the spirit, right? So, yeah, yeah. so it, that's also our responsibility. You can't just right. you believe everything, also. But um, that's really great. So uh, the reason I wanted to to kind of close out with that is because I want people who are skeptical and are going through a challenge of of believing is to not be fragile, to to right. be skeptical. It's okay. It's actually great, you know, like right. to be skeptical because you should. Yeah. You should be discerning. You should be testing the spirit. You should be doing those things. But don't be fragile when truth comes, right? Truth right. doesn't care about our feelings. Right. Truth is just truth, right? right? And so we should, We at least that's the way I try to look at life. Like truth yeah. is truth, whether I like it or not is irrelevant, right? Yes. It's just truth. Right. Um. So I am very grateful to you for taking the time to come on here and discuss this I'm with so me. Happy. Thank you. Because this yes. was super fun for me. This was super me fun. Well. So um, I wanted to kind of uh, make sure that I encourage everyone to pick up your book. So again, it's Raising Jesus and it's EJ Sweeney. I'm going to have all of his info on the video, but I would like it if you can to just quickly let us know where we can find you, follow you, buy the book, things like that. So the, uh, the book can be found on Amazon and my website, raisingjesus.com, where I uh, do a, a blog, usually a weekly blog, and address questions of faith. And if people have questions, their own questions, I encourage them um, to submit them to, to me because I, I love to answer them uh, in the subsequent weeks' oh, lives. Um, and to, to just take heart that, you know, if, if you are a skeptic, look at Thomas. Um, you know, Jesus made himself completely available to Thomas's questions and doubts, and will do that for you as well if you're sincere. Obviously, Thomas wanted to see right. Jesus alive from the dead. He right. just didn't think it was true. And if you have that desire or that openness to it being true, he, he will come through for you. So yeah, if I can do anything to help with that, uh, uh, raisingjesus.com, any questions you have, I'd love to hear them. Yeah. And also follow him on YouTube, guys, because I do. Yes. And you you do great segments. They're, they're like right to the point. You answer the question and it's really informative. So make sure you guys thank catch you. that. And EJ, thank you so much thank for being so much, on here Nina. with me. Thank you guys so much for watching. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Make sure you click below because there's a lot of great content and conversation coming your way. So thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time. You have just listened to another great episode on Straight Talk, No Sugar Added. Don't forget to subscribe so you can get more amazing content. Also, visit our website and YouTube channel. Until next time with more great episodes coming your way. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.